Good morning, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Wisdom Awakening. I'm your host, Bishop E.W. Jackson. Let me just get my myself. Oh, did that not work? Oops. <laughs> Oops. Let's see. Where are we here? Oh, here we go. All right. Let me... This is live television, folks. I get my camera squared away here. I think that'll do it. There we go. Sorry about that. Sometimes I'm rushing to the studio because got other things that have held me up. But anyway, good morning. Hope you're having a wonderful day already. It's only 8.30 a.m. Eastern time. I do want to get into the word today, but I want to make one comment just before I do, and then I want to jump right into it. I'm serious about that. <clears throat> I watched a little bit of this January 6th hearing yesterday. Um, and I'll tell you something, folks. Anybody watching that and watching that alone would come away with the impression that Donald Trump is a monster, he's a liar, he's a fraud, that he... He really was trying in some way to overthrow a legitimate election and so forth. You would come away with that impression. There's only one problem. It's a completely one-sided hearing. You're only hearing one side of the issue. And it is presided over by Adam Schiff. Adam Schiff is a known and proven liar a man completely lacking in any honor, any integrity whatsoever. He is a, a nothing but a shill for far leftist ideology. The man may be a communist for all I know. I don't know, but I tell you what, he's way, way out there. I mean, because this is the guy who said he had absolute evidence that Donald Trump had colluded with Russia and he was just flat out lying a $35 million investigation that ran over two years proved that he was simply lying. He, there was no evidence because there was no collusion. And then just recently, Adam Schiff is apparently the guy who against the orders of the Capitol police who are trying to keep the Capitol safe and we want everybody there to be safe, Democrats and Republicans, it doesn't matter. We want our public officials to be safe. We're not interested in them being hurt. And Stephen Colbert's crew is disrupting and they're banging on Republicans' doors and they're put out by the Capitol Police and then Adam Schiff allows them to come back in. The same person who is screaming and yelling and condemning what happened on January 6th is engineering people coming into the Capitol without proper authorization and without proper security. The man is a sleazebag, folks. I'm sorry, that, that's... Now, forgive me, I'm not sorry. He is a sleazebag. He's just a person who's completely lacking in any honor, any integrity at all. And he's presiding, well, he's not presiding, but he's one of the chief questioners and, and, and investigators based on what I was seeing. Uh, so that alone completely zeroes out any credibility that this whole thing has. But it's not the American way. The American way is you have two sides of an issue and you allow both sides to vigorously present their perspective and marshal their evidence 
And then the people can look at that and say, who's credible, who's not? What facts are compelling, what facts are not? What do I believe, what do I not believe? As opposed to what, what I would call a kangaroo court. This is the equivalent of a communist show trial. Where the job is to, it's like a lot I saw in Silverado. You ever seen, did you ever see Silverado? Great Western movie. But like a lot I saw in Silverado. Um, where the Brian Danahy character says to, um, I think he says to the Danny Glover character, I think. But he says, we're going to give you a fair trial and a first class hanging. <laughs> so, you know. Right? <laughs> the outcome's already predetermined. I love that line. The outcome's already predetermined. And that's what this is. This is just a communist show trial. Here's my point. You have to dismiss pretty much everything that's said, no matter how compelling it is, because the other side is not having an opportunity to be heard. And I'm not saying that everything they're saying is wrong or that everything they're saying is a lie. All I'm saying is there are two sides to a story. As I always tell you, I come to you from a biblical perspective. You know, this idea of having a trial of advocates, gladiators, if you will, uh, in the arena of justice, battling it out, marshalling their facts, marshalling their evidence, and then having people look on and decide, that is a biblical concept. Proverbs 18, 17 says this, the first one to plead his cause seems right until his neighbor comes and examines him. So you got to be cross-examined. You got to be questioned. Your credibility needs to be tested. Your version of the facts needs to be examined. And that's not what we're getting in this, this Nancy Pelosi show trial, which she put together, chose two Republicans who are Trump haters to be on it. I mean, there's no fairness in that. There's, here again, that is a violation of an American principle because these people don't love America. They don't love our system of justice. They don't love our Constitution. They don't love our way of life. In fact, they hate it. They want to upend it. Remember, folks, the issue is never the issue. The issue here is not Trump. The issue is never the issue. The issue is the revolution. The issue is they want to fundamentally transform the nature of the United States of America. I just read an article this morning that talked about the fact that um, uh, Dick Durbin and one other uh, congressional representative, I believe, are talking about the fact that they believe that in two years they can add another million people to the voter rolls. Uh, and their studies show that foreign-born Americans, foreign-born Americans tend to vote Democrat to the tune of 90%. And that's what they're counting on. They say everywhere the majority of people are foreign-born Americans, Democrats win. That's what they're counting on. That's why they want people who are more inclined towards socialism, more inclined toward being dependent, and they don't want people like folks from Cuba who are escaping communism and don't want anything to do with it. They don't want them. They want people who will go along with their socialist vision for the future of this country. So 
what they're doing with, uh, with this trial is, is simply to try to destroy any potential future politically for Donald Trump, as well as trying to smear all Republicans as tinfoil hat wearers, conspiracy theorists, dangerous people who want to overthrow the government of the United States. Now, you all know me well enough. Those of you who watch me know that Lord knows, I believe we have the finest governmental system the world has ever known. I am not in the least interested in overthrowing it. I don't believe Donald Trump is either. I would not support anybody in an effort to try to overthrow a legitimate election or overthrow the nature of our country or overthrow our constitution. And I don't believe Donald Trump would either. I know I certainly wouldn't. I can't speak for him. I don't know him personally, but I know I would not support anybody, Republican, Democrat, independent, constitutional party, libertarian, I don't care what they are. I believe we've got the finest system of government the world has ever seen and we need to preserve it. But the, what these leftists don't understand is you can't preserve it if you don't create a situation where everybody has confidence in the outcome of elections. And you can't create that confidence by simply calling people liars and stupid and saying, oh, you're stupid. You actually believe the 2020 election was stolen. There is plenty of evidence of very, very bad things happening during that election. Enough to give anybody pause, enough to make anybody question. As I've said before, you take the three major issues. Number one, the COVID changes that were illegal. Drop boxes and a whole bunch of stuff that has never been done before. That Dinesh D'Souza's movie, 2000 Mules, shows something was happening with those drop boxes. People were going to those drop boxes multiple times in the middle of the night. To do what? And they even caught some on video putting ballots into the drop boxes. Number one. Number two, Mark Zuckerberg spending a half million dollars buying up uh, election officials. And that's what I, that's the, to me the best way to describe it. You're sweeping into jurisdictions with tens of millions of dollars to give to state election officials. How do you think that impacts them? And what do you think? You don't think Mark Zuckerberg was doing that just because he thought, oh, I think they could use the help and I just want everything to be fair. No, he was trying to make sure that Donald Trump did not get elected because he's a leftist idiot. Because anybody who's made all that money in capitalism, who's a leftist is, is, is a fool because he doesn't realize if these leftists take over, he'd be the first ones who's to have his throat cut because that's what they always do. So you take those two things and then you add to that the talk about conspiracies, the media conspiracy, if you will, certainly their tacit agreement to suppress the Hunter Biden story, which polls show would have switched votes. Because what the Hunter Biden story really shows is if the media would ever really deal with it is that we have in president in the presidency right now is held by a man who's a crook who's made his money selling influence. He's a crook. He's worse than Richard Nixon. Richard Nixon was just trying to, to really buy his way to keep power and trying to, 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 to fight the media and fight all the forces against him and was using money in an illegal way to do that. But Biden's just trying to get rich and use his son as his surrogate to go up, go around and collect the money 
that for the Biden family. I mean, anybody with two eyes can see that that's what's been going on. I mean, come on, are you kidding me? Well, but those things weren't known by the American public because the media wouldn't report it. They, they said it was, a, it was a Russian conspiracy story. Now we're finding out from his own family. Every bit of that, the, all that stuff around that laptop was absolutely true. That the man was a drug addict, a degenerate, and a crook. Has gone around the world using his father's name and office to collect money. He flies to China on Air Force Two with his father and comes home 10 days later with a $1.5 billion investment deal. You think that's because Hunter Biden's, Hunter Biden's brilliant? I mean, come on, because he's not. Okay, I said I wanted to get that out of the way, so I think I've gotten that out of the way. I, the thing I want you to remember is Proverbs 18:17. The first one to plead his cause seems right until his neighbor comes and examines him. And what they're putting out in this January 6th hearing may all seem right, but nobody's coming and examining anybody. Nobody is giving a counter view. Nobody is saying, well, wait a minute. This is not right. That's not right. Let me give you this set of facts and that set of facts. The way they're presenting it, it there's no question. It makes President Donald Trump look bad. Look like he just became unhinged when he realized that the election wasn't going his way for whatever reason. That's the way it makes him look. And I'm sure there's some people who agree with that. But still, there's another side to the story, and that side is not being heard. Okay, all right. As promised, I'm going to the Word, because I didn't even really plan to spend that much time on this, on that issue. But it, it's, it's, it's something that needed to be said. We're going to 1 Timothy, starting in a brand new book of the Bible. Praise God. I started out this a year and a half ago during the, the book of Proverbs. I did the book of Proverbs. Um, in fact, I think I did it every single day until I finished the book of Proverbs. Then we went to five days a week, and I moved off and started covering other scriptures. And, uh, well, I, I'm pretty sure I started with the book. I'm pretty sure I started with the book of Ephesians. But now we're in 1 Timothy. So let's start. It says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God, our Savior, and, and the Lord Jesus Christ, our hope, to Timothy, a true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God, our Father, and Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, Paul is ap apostolos, a sent one. And the apostle was the name that, apostle was the name that Jesus gave his, his primary disciples, 12 minus one, the traitor Judas. I really believe that Paul is the replacement for that one. But then there are other apostles who come along as well because apostle is not a name that exclusively applies only to the original 11 uh, and then to the apostle Paul. But I really believe that it applies to all of those who are called to that position, that office of authority. And Ephesians chapter 4 tells us he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the, for the um, edifying of the saints, for the work of the ministry. So apostle is still an active office. I really believe there are very few people who, um, shall we say, officially serve in that role. But I think there are a lot of people who at least unofficially or de facto serve in an apostolic role. I think anytime you are influencing other ministers 
other people in ministry, you are in an apostolic role. Okay? But I, I won't get any further into that. I, I do sometimes question these people who call themselves apostles because... To me, it can come across, and, and believe me, I'm not, I'm not trying to denigrate anybody, or anything, but it can come across a little pretentious, you know, I'm apostle so-and-so. But, you know, to each his own. I do believe that the apostolic office is alive and well and still operative in the church, whether people necessarily call themselves that or not, okay? Um, and you think, think of some of the, the ministries with with followings of other ministers. I mean, look, I, I have an apostolic anointing. There's no question about that because I do influence and lead other people um, in, in a mission for Jesus Christ. So I have an apostolic anointing. I don't call myself an apostle. I don't think of myself as an apostle. I'll leave that in the hands of the Lord. Um, I do have a prophetic anointing. I don't call myself a prophet. Um, what I am is a bishop and a pastor. Those are the offices I occupy, but I do have an apostolic anointing. You know, apostles, by the way, are ones who are sent to put things in order. The original apostles put the church in order. The apostle Paul, what we're reading right now, he's setting the church in order. So apostles are sent to put things in order. So I think there are a lot of people with apostolic anointings, okay, to call and sent by God to, to set things in order. But here again, uh, I'll, I'll leave it to others what they would do, but I would never call myself an apostle. Uh, and, and here again, not that I, I think that's categorically wrong for anybody to do, because I don't know what God may say to a particular person. All I'm saying is the anointing, I think the, the role is alive and well, um, and the anointing of some kind of an apostolic authority is very much alive and well, even when people don't necessarily call themselves apostles. Okay. So Paul, an apostle, and remember Paul's apostolate was questioned. His apostleship was questioned because of course he had been a persecutor of the church. He gets into that here. He says, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the commandment of God, our Savior, and the Lord Jesus Christ, our hope. In other words, he's saying, God made me an apostle. I didn't make myself an apostle. God made me an apostle through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's one thing. When God makes you something, that's what you are. Okay. Um, to Timothy, a true son in the faith. And I'll tell you something. The apostle Paul was a true father in the faith, and Timothy was a true son of the faith. And we need more true fathers in the faith and more true sons in the faith. I have some sons in the faith. I have a, a, a number one son, uh, Pastor Cecil Bly, who is, I, I, he'd been with me for, we had a little respite there where we kind of lost track of each other. <clears throat> but I licensed him to, to preach back in the early 80s, I believe in 1980, I think it was. Maybe it was 81. So that's been over 40 years, and he's pastoring right now in Lexington, uh, Lexington, in Louisville, Kentucky, I should say, More Grace Ministries. Uh, and I have other sons, some I've brought into the ministry, some I've kind of matriculated into the ministry, some, some I've kind of adopted, they've come under, under me. Uh, but I'll tell you something, 
having true fathers in the ministry and true sons in the ministry is something that is sorely lacking in the body of Christ today. Because, you know, people don't, they, they don't understand true biblical loyalty. They really don't. They really don't. You know, I, I, am, I am saddened to say how much backstabbing there is in the body of Christ. Uh, it, it really, it's, it's sad. It's sad. It really is. Because you would think that we as Christians of all people would be the most faithful and the most loyal people. You know, my attitude has always been, if I can't help you for whatever reason, maybe I'm not in agreement with something, or maybe there's some issue, um, I'm not going to hurt you. I'm not going to go backstab you. I'm not going to go talk against you. And I've met people who claim to be Christians who, oh my goodness. I mean, they're, they're doing a tremendous impersonation of Satan. We just had an election, and I'm not going to use names because I know that'll, you know, I just shouldn't do it. But we just had an election in Virginia, and in one of the districts um, where there was an election, one of the people running who claims to be a Christian, and I say, if I say that, now you're going to start thinking it's all of them. So you know what, let me stop. Let me stop because I, I, I don't want to seem to be smearing any candidates, but I'll simply say this. I have met people along the way who claim to be Christians, who are absolute snakes in the grass. Pat you on your back, smile in your face, and talk about you like a dog and do everything in their power to undermine you and hurt you behind your back. I've seen it happen, folks. It just, and I find it amazing. I find it amazing. I have been hoodwinked, um, uh, ambushed. I was running one time and a bunch of Christians invited me to a meeting that was already all engineered to help another candidate and basically just lied to me. I could have just stayed home. I could have been out campaigning somewhere else, just basically lied to me as if there was some possibility that I could win this endorsement. And there wasn't. It was already, it was already set up. Um, I had people invite me to a meeting one time to talk to me about a campaign I was running, come to find out they had, it was engineered to try to get me to get, get out of the campaign. They were working for another candidate and pretending that they were interested in helping me. They weren't interested in helping me. I mean, and these, these are supposed to be Christians. The Bible says we have, re we have renounced the hidden things of darkness whereby men lie in wait to deceive. We have renounced those things, but you got a bunch of Christians who are happy to lie and wait to deceive. Lie, trick. They, in fact, there's some Christians in politics, they think that that's just part of the game. They don't realize that every time they do that, they are really blaspheming God because they're acting like total heathens and really acting like the devil because the devil is the master deceiver. That's what he does. He's the trickster. He's the one who lies in wait to ambush. He's the one who seeks to steal, to kill, to destroy. He's the one who will laugh in your face and smile at you and compliment you when behind your back he's absolutely trying to cut your head off. We need some true fathers and some true sons in the faith. And, and daughters too. So 
if you are a, a, a sort of a senior Christian, if you will, be a true father in the faith of others. If you are a, a younger person, be a true son, be a true daughter in the faith. I want to say to some of you under the unction of the Holy Spirit right now, I really believe that, that every Christian needs a spiritual father. Now, I've had several along the way in my Christian life, uh, and most of them have gone home to be with the Lord. And I, I don't have anybody on a personal level that I interact with because I've gotten to an age now where, you know, I mean, a lot of the people who would have served that role for me are gone. Uh, I now see myself as serving that role for others. But, you know, you don't necessarily have to have a close personal relationship where you're seeing the person or talking to the person every day. You can attach yourself to someone and just say, I'm going to support this person. I'm going to listen to this person. I'm going to use this person. Uh, let God use this person to speak into my life and, and, and impart wisdom to me. And I'm going to follow that and adhere to that and just believe God to use that in my life. I've been there. I've, I've, I've had that in my life. And it works. It really does work. But it's a work of God in your heart. It's not something you just kind of make up. God has to draw you to that person. And some of you may be drawn to me in that way. And I want you to know my heart is completely open to you. Again, the nature of my schedule means I can't have personal relationships with all the people who support me and follow me. And I meet some of them and talk and have a chance to talk to some of them briefly, briefly. But, but I'm putting enough out there that you can certainly agree in your own heart with God, that God is using me to do something in your life and that you want to be a part of that. And so you listen and you learn and you take notes and you support what the work that I'm doing. And if God sees fit at some point, he can put us together. He can do that. But I think the body of Christ needs more spiritual, true spiritual fathers and true spiritual sons and daughters. Forgive me, I'm going by Timothy is obviously a son. Let's be clear about that. Timothy is a son. <laughs> Not a non-binary, but a son. He says, grace and mercy and peace, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. And I've talked about this whole issue of grace. If grace was simply for salvation, then he would never ask for more grace in your life. But grace is not only how you receive salvation. Grace is how you receive everything from God. And we all have a need for more grace in our lives for whatever God wants to do with us. Hebrews chapter 4 says, Come boldly to the throne of grace that you may obtain mercy and find what? Grace to help in the time of need. See, it's not just about salvation. It's about every aspect of life. Everything I have, everything I receive from God, I receive by faith. I certainly don't receive it because I've earned it. I receive it because God is faithful, not because I'm perfect and faithful, but because God, because God has shown me grace. He's looked beyond my faults and seen my needs. Looked beyond my shortcomings and seen his purpose and plan for my life and, and uses me 
because he knows that my heart is set on trying to do his will, even though I'm not perfect at it by any stretch of the imagination. Neither are you. And the only person who ever was is Jesus Christ. So he says, as I urge you, when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine, nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which cause disputes rather than godly edification, which is in faith. And I tell you what, we're going to come back to that next time, but I want to end on this. The Apostle Paul is giving, and we talked about this in the last book in 2 Thessalonians, about spiritual fathers and spiritual authority giving commands. I said, I don't have a right to command your personal life, where you work, who you marry, and all of that. But when it comes to the ministry itself, I have the authority to give commands with regard to the sphere of ministry that God has given me. Notice what Paul says. I urge you, as I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus. That's a command. That's a command. Remain in Ephesus. Timothy, don't go anywhere. I need you there. That you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Now, when we get to the end of this book, we're going to see that there were people that Paul, in effect, marked out as enemies of the gospel of Jesus Christ who were supposed to be with him. He said, I've just turned them over to Satan. Because they wouldn't, they wouldn't listen. They wouldn't obey. He's saying to Timothy, Timothy... You remain in Ephesus that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine. In other words, now, Timothy, you remain in Ephesus and you teach people what I have taught you and tell them that they can't teach anything else. I had a situation that we started, uh, started a little uh, meeting somewhere to see where it would go. And uh, somebody started under my authority and, and uh, invited me to, to, into, to their home and invited other people to come. And a few weeks into it, the person says to me, um, I really think I'm, I'm, I've got to go in another direction without you. <laughs> see, this, this is what I mean, folks. And people don't see that as backstabbing. They don't see that as betraying, but it is. So basically, the meeting called around me I'm kicked out of <laughs> by a fellow Christian. You see, how, this is how we get so misguided. Paul says, you remain in Ephesus because, look, Timothy had submitted himself. Timothy is a, is a man who can, he can go his own way if he chooses to do that. But he has done what God has called him to do and submitted himself to the authority of Paul. When Paul says, you remain in Ephesus, Timothy says, okay. And you charge those there that they teach no other doctrine. Timothy says, yes, sir. Got it. You got it. You got it. See, that's the way it ought to operate in the body of Christ. Unfortunately, as I've said before, I'm shocked at the number of times that I've seen Christians just absolutely stick the dagger in and twist the knife. Don't you be like that. You be somebody who's loyal and faithful. And as I, you, you take on the, the, the same principle I just said, if I can't help you for whatever reason, it, it, it's just not working, I'm certainly not going to hurt you. I'm certainly not going to go around and try to undermine you. I'm certainly not going to use me to hurt you as a, as a fellow Christian. I'm not doing that. 
I am not doing that because I got to answer to God. And by the way, and I know that's not God, that's Satan's stock in trade. That's what he does. He rises up. Oh, I, I can do this. I, I don't need God. I can do this on my own. I don't need you, Bishop Jackson. I don't need you, pastor. I don't need you, spiritual father, spiritual leader. I, I don't need you. I, I'm, I'm, I'm good. In fact, if I can take what you've got and use it for myself, as this person did, the meeting called around me. Now, I, I, I'm going to take this meeting another way. And I wish I could say that's only happened once. It is in it, it is. It is all too often too prevalent in the body of Christ that people don't know that they're claiming to serve God and they're acting like the devil. But God bless you. You be imitators of God as dear children. OK, you forgive those who've wronged you. Don't you do it to anybody else. And we're going to save this country. We're going to save our families. We're going to save everything that God allows us to touch and influence by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, he's able to do the exceedingly abundant above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. God bless each and every one of you. I love you. Pray for me. And remember, we cannot be defeated if we will not quit because we are on God's side.